To gain a full appreciation of this remarkable story, listeners will, of course, have to grab a copy of your book, Red State Revolt, The Teacher's Strike Wave and Working Class Politics. But we'll try our best in the next 15 minutes or so to at least get a feel for the causes and contours of the strike wave. Let's start at the beginning. Why, in February 2018, did teachers in the so-called red state of West Virginia, meaning an ostensibly Republican Party supporting state, one which helped sweep Donald Trump to the White House, go on strike? And how and why did that strike then spread to other red states like Oklahoma, Arizona and Kentucky? Yeah, the way the media talks about the United States is it it assumes that these so-called red states are deep bastions of conservatism and backwardness. And in some ways, that really simplifies a much more complex situation, because in West Virginia, as you mentioned, Trump won uh, every single county in the 2016 election. But so did Bernie. You know, Bernie Sanders won every single um, primary uh, election. And so what you see is really a discrediting of the status quo, you know, really across the United States, and that can take different forms. And in the context of education, uh, red states, just like blue states that are, you know, democratically controlled, have been uh, the scene of a massive destruction of public education. You're seeing, you know, millions of dollars in cuts a deterioration in uh, wages and in basic services and funding for schools. And so it was that background in West Virginia that uh, led organizing uh, in the direction of a strike, their success then spread and kind of inspired the rest of the country to do the same. In terms of the demands of the strikes, of course, there were demands for, for pay rises, but also there were questions around charter schools and privatisation of schools as well as union rights and pension funds and health insurance. There was a full gamut of issues, wasn't it? Give us a bit of a feel for some of the issues that were involved in these strikes. Yeah, one of the reasons the strikes um, as a whole were so successful was that unlike a lot of labour organising and you know, strikes in recent period, these were actions not just on behalf of those who went out on strike, but really for the working class as a whole. So the demands, you know, there were a lot of demands for better pay, but there was also central demands for more funding for students, a reversal of the privatization and charter school drive, which has really created very unequal conditions uh, for working class communities, for black and brown communities, uh, demands for things like smaller class sizes and for a reversal of the... Um, over-testing regime that has made you know, education about just these metrics and not actually about teaching anymore. So yeah, there was this very broad array of demands that was able to bring in the community, bring in students and parents, and build a very effective, uh, broad front that was able to take on you know, the politicians from both parties and the billionaires that stood behind them. And one of the significant elements as well of these strikes is that some of them were officially called, but some of them were wildcat strikes as well, weren't they? And in meaning that uh, rank and file teachers themselves took the initiative to launch these actions outside of official bureaucratic uh, union control in some instances. In some instances, Yeah, particularly in the red states where, you know, there, there's collective bargaining in a place like West Virginia, or uh, Arizona or Oklahoma, the unions are very weak. They don't represent most educators, let alone most workers in the state. And so there was a lot of political space there. There's almost a political vacuum that these rank-and-file insurgents were able to fill. And and one of the interesting parts of the story is that uh, a lot of the rank-and-file teachers that 
initiated these strikes because, as you noted, really the strikes in the red states were initiated from below and the unions had to get pushed uh, into more or less supporting after the fact. And these radicals often who led the organizing, many of them were very young teachers who were first organized and inspired by the Bernie Sanders campaign. Many of them joined the Democratic Socialists of America, the biggest socialist organization in the United States. And they played this outsized role because they were able to fill a political vacuum and help the rank and file really take the lead. And then the union leaderships followed. There has been much debate and discussion on the left in recent years centering around what is loosely described as identity politics. There are legitimate criticisms to be made, for instance, of at least some working class organisations, some trade unions, activist coalitions, socialist groups and so forth, that they are overwhelmingly white and often male dominated. One of the really striking things, if you'll pardon the pun, about the teachers' strike wave is that it's multi-ethnic, it's been led in many instances by women, and it's made a conscious effort to link with the existing struggles against racial injustice and structural poverty in African-American and Latino communities. Yeah, I mean, this is a strike wave led by women workers, first and foremost. And it's interesting because the other strikes beyond education that we've seen are also led by women in hotels and healthcare in the United States. So this is a generalized trend, which I think does reflect deeper changes in the economy and society, and it's very exciting. And the question of anti-racism is also very important uh, on a couple of grounds. One is that these strikes do show the possibility for multiracial organizing, even in states that people wrote off um, as presumably deeply, uh, deeply, backwards, Trump-loving places that you wouldn't have expected, um, you know, a real multiracial coalition to have emerged, but nevertheless they did. So I, I think that that, on the one hand, poses a challenge to the, the somewhat simplified liberal narrative of the world in which you have, uh, you know, blue state bastions of you know, progressive politics and everywhere else is written off. Um, at the same time, though, as you mentioned, yeah, the part of the success and part of the importance of these strikes was that particularly in a place like Los Angeles or Oakland, in which the question of anti-racism was much more central and in which there's overwhelmingly a student of color and working class communities of color are the students and parents. In this context, they had to put uh, anti-racism at the center, um, in part because the politics of those opposing the teachers used anti-racism as a means to try to uh, promote an agenda of privatization. The discourse of these folks was, we need to privatize, bring in charter schools because regular public schools aren't uh, helping students. And the unions, to their credit, said, no, actually, the way we're going to help black and brown students is by defending and transforming public education. And, uh, you know, they won the strikes in large part because they were able to win that argument. If we can broaden our focus now, Eric, to the question of what this strike wave means for the larger trade union movement in the United States and what effect it may have on social movements more generally, as well, of course, on the thing most people are, are fixated on, which is the 2020 presidential elections. Yeah, the stakes of really what we're seeing right now are extremely high. Um, you know, in the United States, there's a tremendous amount of anger. There's millions of people looking for a political alternative. And so the strikes in some ways are one manifestation and an important further spur to what is really a real radicalization in which you have millions of people now uh, embracing socialism. You have the viable possibility of electing a democratic socialist, Bernie Sanders, to president. And these 
different phenomena are feeding off each other. We have the strikes in our raising the issue of public education to the fore, inspiring other workers. You know, we saw, for instance, how the federal government shutdown ended. Some of your listeners might not know or remember, but when Trump had this long federal government shutdown over the immigration wall, the way that ended is because workers uh, who were flight attendants threatened to strike the next day to end the shutdown. And when they interviewed the president of the flight attendants union, Sarah Nelson, about you know, where did you come up with this idea to strike and to shutdown, she says, well, look, if the teachers are striking, why can't we? And so this, this idea of if the teachers are doing it, why can't we, is potentially very explosive. And it's going to be the type of movement spreading beyond education that ultimately is going to be required if we're going to be able to win a lot of the demands that people are talking about, but just going to require a tremendous amount of political power, things like winning Medicare for all, Green New Deal, all of those types of demands that Bernie and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez have put at the fore of the national conversation. It's very hard to imagine winning those if you can't build a broad you know, workers' movement that goes beyond education. But at this point, education is really at the fore. And so if we can keep on winning in the teachers' struggles and the students' struggles, that's going to be an inspiration, I think, for the broader movement. You mentioned the recent strikes in Oakland and Los Angeles. These fall outside the rubric of the Red State Teachers' Revolt because significantly these particular strikes took place in California, a state held by the Democratic Party since 1992. What was different about the politics of these strikes? Have they played a part, do you think, in feeding into and influencing what some commentators and activists have described as a civil war within the Democratic Party and presumably within the wider American labour movement between, broadly speaking, social democratic reformists, led at the national level, of course, by Bernie Sanders, and the party machine men loyal to the corporations led most likely in 2020 by Joe Biden? Yeah, I mean, it's just worth noting from the offset that the fact that there were these massive strikes in California directly challenges the narrative which was put forward when the red state strikes were happening is that somehow this is just a problem in places where Republicans are in charge. And what we argued and was proven to be right is now, in fact, the uh, austerity and privatization policies are often just as bad in some places worse in uh, states and cities where the Democrats are in charge. So the Los Angeles and Oakland strikes in particular, but also Denver, directly challenged Democratic Party machines and had to uh, really go up against not just the Republicans, but the whole entire political apparatus, many of whom, you know, unlike in red states, pretended to be on the side of working people. You know, that's the contradiction of the Democrats is that they're oftentimes a little bit better about pretending they're on your side and so it took, in some ways, a bigger political leap of the unions in these contexts to break with that subordination and to say, look, we're going to fight for our demands, even if the Democrats are in power, because they haven't been listening to us for years now. Um, so as you mentioned, this in turn has exacerbated the uh, crisis and the war within the Democratic Party between, yeah, the sort of insurgent wing who are pushing uh, for, I think, social democratic reforms, as you mentioned, um, and the old corporate establishment. And that plays out in education, in which uh, now a lot of the corporate uh, leadership is at least paying lip service to supporting public education and teacher strikes, even if just a few years ago uh, they were you know, actively pushing forward policies that resulted in these types of cuts. At least nominally now they're trying to paint themselves as supporters. But there is a deep contradiction, and I don't think it's ultimately uh, one that can be papered over 
between the interests of, you know, the socialist wing and workers who are fighting and the old establishment, which by all accounts is going to fight for dear life to hold on to its power. Finally, Eric Blanc, where will things go from here? It's perhaps difficult to convey quite how transfixed we are down here in Australia by American politics and by the all-consuming figure of Donald Trump, his insane tweets, his bombastic rhetoric, his seeming determination to launch a major war and God knows bring down the whole of civilization with him. From looming climate catastrophe to the fear of a global depression, there's an unvarnished hysteria about the state we're in generally, which is why it's so vitally important, I think, we understand the precious value and learn the lessons from strike waves such as this teacher's strike wave. At the risk of hyperbole, perhaps, can this strike wave be the wellspring, do you think, or at least a key part of the wellspring of hope that might yet produce better days for the American working class? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, fallen into despair because, uh, as you know, things are really uh, desperate, whether it's Trump or climate change or the threat of looming war. Me personally, I'm more hopeful than I've ever been because unlike in years prior, and to be honest, a lot of these problems, whether it's war or climate change, aren't new or even, you know, the type of politics that Trump is putting forward predate him. Um what I'm excited about is that for the first time in literally decades in the United States, you have a strike wave. This is our first strike wave since the early 1970s. You have a resurgent socialist movement that is putting forward an alternative political vision to not only the Republicans, but also the Democrats. And that is a source of tremendous hope, particularly the strikes, because what the strikes do is they give people a sense that if you fight back, you can win. And the main obstacle that we're up against is not, I don't think, that we have to convince people that change is necessary, but we need to be able to convince them and show them that they can and do, uh, in fact, have the power to fight back and organize and win. And to make that spread, we need to be able to point to victories, and we need to be able to lean on the momentum of these victories. So the strikes really, I hope, are just the beginning of a movement that will spread not just throughout the states and throughout the country, but really can spread across working people as a whole. And, you know, by all accounts, this is uh, something that is a real threat of happening. You know, the anger is real and people are looking for an alternative. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled on what's going on. It's going to be a very uh, exciting next year or two.